You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I am here with my compadre, Jason. Hey, everybody. Okay, so uh, we are again missing Dan. He is uh, in the swamp of moving. This is a bog that we wish upon no person. Yeah. <laughs> the, the land of boxes and this, this unknown pain. no return. <laughs> exactly. The, so uh, having just gone through that, Jason, I'm sure you're sympathetic to our friend's yeah. plight. He'll get through it. He will. And soon, he will be back, I'm sure, happier yep. than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, moving on. Today we've got a good show for you guys. We are going to be talking about some mechanics and fluff and what that means for gaming. Uh, but before we get in, Jason, how was your Geek Week? I had a fun Geek Week, man. Um, I broke out my uh, T-Hotus, uh, which is, you know, the flight stick. Those are yes. familiar with it. Yes. And uh, I jumped back into Elite Dangerous for a little bit to do some mining. I said, I'm going to get enough money so I can get my own fleet carrier. It's going to be awesome. Just because it's something to work towards. It's a goal. Uh, there's a lot of argument in the community right now on the actual benefit of fleet carriers. Uh, they're a huge money sink um and uh you know what but what do they provide beyond just a uh portable docking station of your own choice um and a place to store stuff which you know that by itself um is actually pretty cool the fact that you you know you could go mine an asteroid belt and just keep dumping your dumping the materials into this thing and then jump your fleet carrier way far away where the prices are high and all that anyways I was going to say, one of the huge benefits is the fact that it can jump like 500 light years in one jump. Yeah, 500 light years. But, um, you know, there's uh, – that's kind of where it ends, though. If you talk yeah. a lot of the community, yeah. it's like it can, it can jump 500 light years, and that's it. And there's this funny thing about it where, like, the, the there's a mechanic. You have to, like – I don't know. I don't have one yet, so I'm kind of speaking out my backside. But it seems like um, – it's something that they're going to change a lot in the future. We'll see. I think they're going to have to, and, and part of the reason why is like there's a there's a big initial cost, right? It's five billion credits or whatever it is. Yeah, five billion. It. I mean that's a that's a lot. Initially, it was supposed to be tw- like twenty billion. Oh, yeah, it was right. stupid, stupid expensive, stupid. and they were like everyone was like, nope, <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> and um, but then there's still weekly upkeep costs that you have to do. Yeah, or else you know, it gets shuttered. You know, and it does. I will say that those weekly upkeep costs are not horrible when you understand them. It's only like five million a week, and I mean, yeah. every night that I play, I bank probably a hundred million. Yeah. For after you know maybe an hour and a half of play, I make right. about a hundred million. So five million a week is really not that big a deal. Uh, so, the other thing is that you yeah. can go in debt, so you don't. If it's not like if you miss week one, right, right, right. And right. Here, this is important to understand: if you miss week one. Boom! That's it. You lose the carrier. It you can go up to two hundred fifty million in debt, right? Yeah. And then and then they and then they decommission it. Right. Um, so so what it, you're I mean, telling me is there's no space dog the bounty hunter. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But so I mean, if you think about it, you know, you can go two hundred fifty million in debt, and every night I jump on, I play for an hour and a half, and I make a hundred some million. It's like. Gosh, you know, I could I, I could not even have to worry about the upkeep but like once a month. Yeah, almost, it's true. You know? And, and the, here's the other yeah. thing I was really worried about was what happens if you you know you got to go on a work trip for a while and you come back and you get that at two fifty million you can't they decommission it and you get your full refund. Oh, interesting! You can so, buy a new one. Yeah, so it's not like you're out five billion. Right. You might be out, you know, like four point something billion, and it yeah. so it's not it's not like. It's not as bad as it initially sounded, in my opinion. That's true. That's true. Very true. But anyway, so yeah. since I had my T-Hotus out, I said, you know what? I'm going to play Ace Combat 7 because oh. it's in the Game Pass. Yeah. And let me tell you, dude, Ace Combat 7 in 4K is gorgeous. Really? I don't, I'm not even like a really big, like, I love spaceships. But like, yeah. you know, like jet fighters. I'm not a really big jet fighter. Never really been into that stuff. But dude, I could not stop playing that game. I was just soaring around, shooting missiles, and you know, just flying around. Uh, uh, there's a drone. There's drones in that game, so you're shooting down, you know, UAVs and stuff. And man, the game was just so fun to fly in, and it's just gorgeous flying through the skies. Um, 
So highly recommend that if you've got a HOTUS. I don't know how fun it would be if I was just using a normal controller, but the flight sticks add an absolute level of immersion whenever you play those games, those types of games, and it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Yeah, very yeah. cool, man. So that was my Geek Week. Uh, last thing I did was I mo- actually modified my RSP110, which was my respawn chair that I mentioned a couple episodes ago. Yes. I noticed when I sat in it, uh, this is a gripe I have with this chair, actually. I've used it for a couple weeks now. Is It leans back well, so you can sit in a comfortable position um, for whatever your gaming session is going to be, but it's, but it's a static position. I like chairs that rock. I like to kind of rock a little bit back and forth. And this chair does not rock at all. You just you can put it in fixed positions. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that whatever position I was in, my body was tending to want to slide forward out of the chair. So I actually went and got um, <clears throat> got some washers, and I put some washers under the front uh, the front bolts to just ever so slightly give a, a lift to the front of the chair a little bit, and uh, that that's. Uh, made it a lot better for me. So don't be afraid to go out there and modify your stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Yep. Good stuff, dude. That was my week. Uh, let's see. I played a little bit through Thronebreaker a little bit more. I think last week I said that I just sort of picked it up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was thinking around with it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through the game. Listen, I, I tend to be achievement hunters in some of these games. You know, like I feel like um, I sort of have this in the back of my mind that if I can get, you know, all if not almost all the achievements um in a game then i have fully experienced what the developers probably want me to experience in a game you mm-hmm. know like i remember there was a there was an achievement in halo uh reach there where you had to like run off of a cliff or no the the idea was is that you had to fall and um use an assassination maneuver to prevent yourself from dying so the requirements was you had to jump from a height high enough where you would die on impact, but not too high where you would die before you, you know, fell, you know, because mm-hmm. they had some of that, you fall too far, you automatically die, you know? Yeah. Um, so you had to jump from a height like that was just right. And there was one point in the game where you could do it. The problem was is you had to run at a certain angle and jump on faith and then look down at just the right time and hit the button at just the right time. I must have done that thing like a hundred times just to get the darn achievement. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm kind of, I sometimes get a little bit like obsessive compulsive with like mm-hmm. getting achievements sometimes. Um, and with Thronebreaker, um, I'm, I'm doing everything I think I need to. And there are choices in this game that will give you certain benefits and I made a, I, I chose a choice instead of bribing somebody, I ended up hanging them, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to be a good ruler, um, and it was a criminal. And if I bribed them, they would have given me a map to get a golden chest, and because I hung them, I don't, there's no access to that now. Mm. And I made it way too far in the game to do, like, a previous save. Uh, and I'm like, ugh. Like, that's your story, man. That's your life, though. Yeah, you know, listen, this is, this is, I, I get, look, hashtag first world problems. I get this, right? It's a, and it's a game and it's a free game on Games Pass. I get it. But at the same time, I, I hate achievements where if you miss it, it's, it's done. You're just you going to have to play it again. That's, that's what I am like, seriously. That was me with uh, Bioshock. Remember, I mean, you played Bioshock, right? Yep. Remember the little recording, recorders you had oh, to yeah. get? Yeah. I got every achievement in that game except collecting all the recorders. You know why? Because there was one recorder at the very beginning of the game that oh. you only had one chance to get when, like, a train was moving past an area. Oh, my god! And I missed that one. And that's the only reason I didn't get 100% achievements in that game. And I was like, should I, I, I restarted a game with the intention of getting that, and then yeah. I just said, no, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> there exactly. are other games to play. Yeah. Yeah. Great game, uh, by the way. But anyways. It is. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a little OCD on... Um, I on, do. Uh, I do. I do. I do. But you know what? It's fine. Yep. As long as you're enjoying it. That's what it's about. <laughs> exactly. The funny thing is I don't have like OCD in like other parts of my life. It's just like completionist like issues, you know? Whatever. You ever play those uh, Lego games? Man, you're probably going for unlocking all the characters and... I had to stop playing the Lego yep. games. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. It got bad. It Ooh, got more bad. studs. 
Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, we had our Rogue Trader RPG session. We finished the arc that we were playing. You guys ended up killing Snot Grits, yeah. the big bad orky war boss that was calling in the log. Ripped his head um, off with a whip. With a whip. That Indiana was pretty Jones epic. style. Yeah. It's pretty epic. Um, you guys did better than I thought you were. I thought I was going to kill somebody. And uh, ended up not killing anybody. So, yeah. Yeah, we um, we did a pretty good job, um, I think, nerfing the area. Yeah. Debuffing the area. Because, dude, there were a ton of dudes. There, there were was. a ton of bad guys. We could yeah. have been overwhelmed real fast. And I thought you guys were going to kind of clear some of those little dudes out mm-hmm. a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. But your debuffs did a good job to where they weren't doing anything. Like, had you not debuffed them, they would have started chipping away at you guys. And you would have realized that, you know, we have a huge tank in front of us right now. Yep. And mm-hmm. a bunch of little guys are just chipping away. But because they weren't, they were not a threat to you. You know, um, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Uh, but the big dude was. Just about killed poor Lorcan again. Again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But So we had that. It's good. Um, the group said, let's keep going. So I think we'll do maybe another arc. Yeah, let's do we'll it. See. It'll be good. Um, the other thing that I've been having Uh-oh. this week. Yeah. You see what's on the show I notes. I see the script. Oh, boy. Uh, I've, 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 I've totally dived into 40K. You bought like, the box. So, well, hold on. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, all right. So I've been obsessing over the new ninth edition stuff. I said, if there's a time to get into 40K, this is it. There's a lot of changes. Um, a lot of the changes, um, and we'll talk about some of them in the news, but a lot of the changes I had issues with 40K. You know, I just thought it was way too shoot heavy, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like not a lot of melee stuff. They've changed a lot of those things. It sounds like it's going to be a super fun game to play. Um, I'm excited about it. So I am planning to get the Indominus box, which, again, we'll talk about in the Geek News. But um, I was talking with uh, one of our fellow players, Corey, and um, he's like, I've got a bunch of Space Marines I'm selling. That I need to. Oh no! Of. You fell into the Corey sales trap. <laughs> I did, and I just bought a bunch of. I've got a yep. bunch of Space Marines right here on my table. <laughs> yes, sir. I bought a ton of blades of corn from him. Yeah, yeah. So I got, I got. So <laughs> the nice thing is that between what I have here on the table and what might be in the box, I think I've got a very good playable army, at least in the beginning, and I can add to it. You know, with a couple other units and things like that but um i'm in a good spot right now but i mean this set me my little purchase set me back a couple hundred dollars today yeah so tell me why space marines so here's what i like about space marines um a i'm I'm, it was either going to be necrons or space marines because that was what's coming in the in this ninth edition box that's coming Uh out right Mm -hmm. and i like the idea of necrons but i feel like um space marines gave a little bit more flexibility and so here's my plan with it right i am going to do what's called a successor chapter so there's like main original space marine chapters right these Mm -hmm. are like space wolves death watch you know iron hands raven guard you know imperial fists like all of these like those are like the original legions that were formed by the emperor and their you know primarchs um when things have gone to hell in a handbasket in the last ten thousand years of you know warhammer 40k ever since the emperor pretty much died even though he's still sort of alive being kind of kept on life support he's not he's not not dead he's He's sort of still there. Um, he's being kept on live support. And so so there's a, a Primarch that came out named uh, Robert Gulliman, uh, and he's the Ultramarines, like the Blue Marines mm-hmm. Primarch, right? And he kind of helped save the day at Earth. I mean, that's what he says. And sort of brought uh, some calm to the rest of the universe as they were, like, chasing the Chaos Marines away. Um, and he said, okay, we, we got to change this because things are going crazy. And so he's, they, they've had these things called foundings, right? 
and these foundings mean that like new chapters are formed that can kind of continue the Astartes Space Marine legacies, right? So what I'm going to do, and this is an interesting thing with 40k, is I am making a like second or third generation Space Marine chapter. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're going to have their own markings. Um, they're going to have their own color scheme. They're not going to be one of the main ones that you see. And what's cool about it um, is that you can say that they are descended from any one of like the the groups. So like it could be from Raven Guard or Iron Fist or something like that, you know. And you get to use that codex for their rules. Um, and but you don't get to take their named characters, right? So like if there's like a captain that's in the ultramarines that has a name you can't obviously use him in your successor chapter Mm -hmm. you know um but you get to use pretty much all the same units and things like that and you get some extra rules because you don't have character named characters in your armies because you're a successor chapter right Mm -hmm. but you get to still use all those same rules well here's the thing what happens if i choose raven guard and um after about a year or two, they're just not very playable because of power creep or whatever, you know, with new books coming out. But one of the other Space, Mar- Space Marine chapters has sort of come into their own because of their abilities, makes them a better army. You can just say, oh, yeah, they're descended from that one <laughs> and get that book mm-hmm. and use those yep. rules. You know what I mean? So it gives you a lot more flexibility. There's some, like, core Space Marine rules that everybody has to follow. But then you get your sort of faction tactics that you get to use. And you can, by being a successor chapter, you can switch those as you need to. Um, and if, like, I play Raven Guard at first and I say, I really don't like the way this plays, it doesn't fit me, I can easily switch without having to repaint an army, without having to get new models, without having to do anything, and say, I like playing this one better. I feel like it, it fits me better as a player. There you go. So so I like the flexibility. Yeah, sounds like a good... good uh good way for you to get started yeah yeah so we'll see um i'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of excited about it um yeah i still have a ton of tau up in my closet so the interesting thing though man they just came out with a faction um sort of update on the tau mm-hmm. they're gonna be pretty good they got nerfed in some areas but um um, one of the rules of overwatch and we'll talk probably talk about this in a little bit they they got to keep their that ability because that was like one of their big things you know so cool yeah so tau i think tau is going to be competitive kind of interesting um yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much my my geek week i've just been watching lots of youtube videos and planning out space marine dreams and all that stuff very cool yeah uh let's get to the news i'm gonna roll right into the fact that the 40k 9th edition is rolling along i obviously just talked about it but there's a lot of interesting changes that are coming with it um one of my issues was like all the shooting right it was shoot 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 so if you yeah. had a melee build or something like that like um or you didn't have some, a melee build you just didn't have you couldn't have a melee yeah. build and be successful yeah. right and one of the, one of the reasons why that was is the overwatch rule anytime you charged a gun line you got shot you know, anytime you charge it, you got shot. You know, and it, it was it, so it made it difficult to charge. Well, now, the new rule is is that you have to spend a command point to do an Overwatch. And command points are like gold. Now, yeah, because you, you only you don't you don't gain them back, right? You don't gain them back. I mean, they've changed the rules for command points now, where okay. you um, start a battle with a fixed amount, mm-hmm. right? And it's based on like if you're doing a two thousand point army versus like yeah. fifteen hundred points or whatever. And um, depending on how you spend them in the beginning of the game, you may gain some, right? You may gain some command points through taking certain stratagems or certain um, detachments or something like that. Um, And then you gain one at the beginning of each turn, like you do in Age of Sigmar now. You didn't be able to get that before, but um, they're giving you less, and uh, you have to kind of earn them as the game goes along. Okay, so So. what's some other things about the ninth edition? Um, oh, one of the interesting things is they've limited uh, the amount of modifiers that you can put on somebody. So 
I don't know if you've noticed in this in Age of Sigmar, like, you may get hit with an end of the spell that gives you a negative one, and then somebody can cast another spell, like yeah. a negative one to hit. Somebody mm-hmm. can cast another spell in that same unit, so then it, now it's an additional negative one to hit. Yeah. So now you can just sudden, go sit in the co- corner and color. Yeah, just go sit in the corner and color, right? Like, the next thing you know, like, your unit that's hitting on fours normally is now hitting on sixes, yeah. right? Because sixes always hit. Well, um, in this 40K you are now limited to only one negative one or one positive one even at that um, either way so um, I kind of like that I think it's I think it's great I think it's great you don't have over buffing you don't have over buffing or or or, or over debuffing yeah right under buffing under buffing anyways yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it's great and the interesting thing is they sort of stack it reminded me of sort of the boons and banes of like, um, yeah. Uh, you know, so, so for example, if you throw w- one negative one on me and then I have a positive, you know, a, a plus one to hit, those will counteract each other. So if you threw another one on me, then it would be a negative one as well. Mm. So there are situations I think where you having like a negative two to hit would be good because if they could buff themselves, you still get that modifier. But I think anytime you're trying to debuff them, like you know negative two, negative three to hit, like, it's just going to be a waste. Um, and I think that that means that you're taking different options for your armies, which I think is awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff out there. Um, the uh, There's a YouTube channel that I've just totally been obsessing over. It's called Auspex Tactics. I'm going to give him a shout-out. He explains a lot of these changes in a very easy to understand way. I mean, I'm brand new to 40k and I'm getting like I understand what's going on, you know. So, check it out. Ospe, it's A U S P E X tactics. I'm still I'm still on the fence on if I want to go if I want my sci-fi fix to be Warhammer 40k or if I want to go the Infinity. Oh, yeah, that's right. You start you tried some Infinity before, right? I played some uh, some uh, um, at cons, I played yeah. some uh, learning games, and I really, I really, I just liked that it was so different. It was just a new system to play. It was yeah. a little refreshing. Um, and it's more skirmish based too. It's isn't absolutely it? skirmish based. It's yeah. it's squads um, taking over an area uh, versus um, you know giant large scale scale right. battles. So the other thing, I mean, the thing that I always consider, depending on if I want to get into a new game, is what is the community support around right. the game, and there right. is. There is a uh, uh, league's the wrong word, but there is a community at uh, our local, well, kind of local game store up in the Bazaar Hobbies uh-huh. uh, that meets once a week. Um, so I, I think I might still, when we all kind of start getting back together, I might go up there and engage that community to see, you know, how active they are and how many members. I, I follow them on Facebook, you know, but. Just because yeah. people talk a lot on Facebook doesn't mean you get a lot of people to come out to the night events. And right, stuff. right. And I gotta have, <clears throat> I gotta have games. Uh, otherwise, you know, I don't want to just paint models and and and, and dream of playing with them. Yeah, yeah, you know? right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we had. Um, I, I I thought about that too. And what's interesting is our friend. Our mutual friend that sold me all these models, of course, the kind-hearted soul that he is. Yeah, good guy, real good guy, by the way. Um, he um. He was telling me that like you have zero problems finding a 40k game. I know, and that's the thing is that there is so many there are so many options to play 40k, and so it's yeah. like if you're gonna play, if you really want a sci-fi game to play, and you want to make sure that you can have games to play any night of the week, 40k will do it. And what, I mean, what's interesting is like we went to the Las Vegas Open, right? Mm-hmm. There were 172 Age of Sigmar players. Yeah. There were 1,200 I know. 40K players. <laughs> it's it's kind of the proof's in the pudding kind of a thing, yeah. you know? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the, and I'll tell you this much. What, what I'm really liking about 40K is um, it is much more strategic. Like, you pay per model, right? So when, when you, in, in Age of Sigmar, when you go to build your army, it'll be 10, 10 models of this one unit cost 90 points. Right, and you have two thousand points to spend, or something like that. And like a big model may cost you like five hundred points, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got a bunch of abilities. Uh, apparently, in forty k, the way it works is that each marine is worth like ten points. 
right? But then you can give that one grenade. You can give, like, three of them grenades. You can give two of them, like, upgraded blasters. Yeah, and then, that. like, the, the grenades would be, like, two points for each. And, you know, so you can you can customize, I think, a lot more um, and, you know, work those points a lot more. And it, it, it seems to add a depth of strategy um, that doesn't exist in Age of Sigmar just because you can... Um, you can start playing to your meta a little bit more and how you're building out some of your options. Well, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're you're kind of stating this. You're stating this from a factual point of view, from what you've learned, and you know, as you're learning about the game. I'll be curious to hear how you feel about that when you've actually gone through the effort uh, and are actually you know fielding an army and playing it. Right. To see what uh, see you know see what it's like when you actually get some miles under your belt with it, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of Age of Sigmar, the Lumineth Elves are now out. They dropped last Saturday, um, and this is probably your favorite models of all time, right, Jason? Yeah. <laughs> I do not understand the art direction with this one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, listen, I, I have noticed that with these elves that are out, people either love them or they hate them. And, and it, yeah, yeah, it just depends on if you love headgear. It does. I mean, they've got some crazy headgear. And, um, I mean, one faction is like, they look like Texas Longhorns, right? They do. They do. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, you know, and the other thing too is I was looking at the rules of some of these, of this new faction. Dude, I know it's another broken faction. I know, and and, <laughs> and and this is part of the reason why I feel like I'm sort of being pushed to this new edition of 40k because I feel like when they come out with a new edition, they're really trying to balance the core rules. That's that like when a new edition comes out for a game, that's the opportunity to address some of the core rules that need to be adjusted, right? That have been abused by certain factions. Yeah, essentially. And so I feel like this is a nice reset button. And talking to the 40K players, all of them are saying this is going to make the game a lot better. Right? And I, I'm, that that makes me excited to play something like that. Every time a new faction comes out for Age of Sigmar, I'm like, well, this is broken. Yep. You know? This is going to smash. Yep. Take and the I table. I feel like the new book is a response to the previous book that had dropped, right? The new army is the response to the last army that was overpowered. And it's just like they're just keep topping each other to the point where it's like this is not fun unless you're like you got an army within the last three months. It's interesting because you get to a point to where it's like, you know, these war we're playing a war game. And it's like, you know, part of what makes a war game awesome is making those good tactical movements yeah. Um, controlling the board, uh, using the board to your advantage, using flanking, all of those things. But in, in, I feel like a lot of times when I go on the table, it's, okay, let's see how we can manage or unmanage all the buffs and debuffs that are going to get on me because of, manage it, because of the command abilities and spells. And and then it's like, you know, you can, you can lose the game not by playing the battlefield, just by, you know, not being able to counter the, that one spell. So speaking off. of spells, Teclas, which is their demigod or god, right? I don't know if you saw this, but he can have one spell that cannot be unbuffed, period. Can't be unbound, right? Or if he chooses to cast two spells, they both go off on a 12. Okay? And he doesn't even have to roll it. It just goes off. And to mm -hmm. counter it, you have to roll a 12. Or he can cast four spells... And they oh, wait, go, they off, go on, off on a 12? They go off on it. Yeah, then so you, the you two. You can't counter it unless you unless have a plus you have one. A bu exactly, yeah. exactly. So why would you ever choose Why would you ever choose the one that can't be unbuffed, right? Unless yeah. you're going up against a faction that has ridiculous casting as well. Like, I think <coughs> Seraphon has ridiculous yeah. counting. Um, the, or you can cast four that go off on a 10. Hmm. And I'm sitting here going like, cool, this is fun. <laughs> right. you know right. like you 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 know you're kind of breaking this area where like i now can't participate like i at That's least a, had a chance yeah. if you if you're at least had a chance of if you got a bad roll and i got a good roll there was at least a chance that i could stop it you know 
Right. And that goes back to the discussions we've had about, uh, you know, the mechanics, which we're going to talk about later, mechanics, but uh, of alternate activations. Yeah. Where whenever you have a game phase that allows for alternate activations, then everyone's going to feel, both players are going to feel like they are having game time. Yeah. If you're in a phase where you're not alternate activations are not happening and you're getting demolished in that phase, you literally are just sitting there watching, you know, yourself lose the game. And that's yeah. that's it's not fun. It's not fun. No. Right. And and the thing is is it would be sometimes it's more it, it's okay if you're like, yeah. okay, well sure. Um there was a cities are a cities of Sigmar army that came out right. It was Tempesai and it had some ridiculous shooting. But the thing is you had to have like twelve drops in the army, right? You mm-hmm. had to place yeah. like twelve units down. So me, I could put five units down, and at least I could say, you know what, I'm gonna try and do as much damage and take out as much as I can in the beginning, so that because I know the hurt's gonna come, and at least I can try to do something in the beginning to mitigate that. Yeah. You know, um, the problem is, is these new armies that are coming out, they're like one, two drop, three drop armies. And so they're going to go first. They're just going to demolish you, wipe you off the table, and then you're like, all right, well, that was fun. Round two, I'm done. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, so so anyways. I've, I've, been a little, I've been a little down on Age of Sigmar lately. However, you're going to get the new uh, handbook? I am. I'm going to still get it, you know, so. How much is it? Is it going to be like another, what, is it, what do they usually run? 30, 30 40? 35 bucks, I think. 35 bucks, yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, is I got like the big edition last time. It was like. Oh, no. 60 or something like that. I'm not doing that again. No. I don't nope. I don't need the little token markers. I don't need those things. So You don't even you don't even really need it. <laughs> Honestly to play. Mm-hmm. There's you know. I you, mean, I used a little to, I, I did it, use the endless, I did use a terrain mark. I used the terrain tokens. You know, <clears> I tell that you, that's the it. only page of that entire handbook that I used. It was well, that's not true. Uh just the one page that said the terrain rules. Yeah. It had the terrain rules and I think the command abilities pretty close yeah. to it. And the whole almost rest of the book was fluff that didn't really apply in tournaments and all that stuff. Because you always get the turn- tournaments, they just give you the packets. And they, they give do. you the battle plans they do. and everything. Yep. So. Yep. I mean, it's good to see what they are. Like, I, I've used it when I've gone to play other people and I'm like, here's my, you know, what what mission are we going to play? Here's here's the mission, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I had... That's you, true. Now, you had a book that had come out just before the, or just after the last General's Handbook. So your points... Oh, no, your points were updated in the General's Handbook last yeah, time. Yeah, they were updated. So that's the other thing. That's the big thing, really, is the points, in my opinion. That's true. I, was looking I at forgot the table about that. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking at the table of contents this time. They did a preview of it today. And, like, all the missions are the same. They're probably they just s- updated a little bit. Last time they separated the points into a separate book, though. You're right. And it does come with two books. So one's a points book and one's a missions book. Okay. So, anyway. So, but well, that we'll comes out on Saturday. There were the pre-orders on Saturday. I'm not going to pre-order it. I'm just going to go pick it up when it's ready. Do we think there are going to be any major point changes? I bet, I bet your, oh, oh, you want to hear the big rumor that's yeah. going to happen with this is that, um, malign sorcery artifacts are going oh. away of the dodo. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, which I think is a good thing. How do you feel about that? So, uh, so for our listeners, what it is, is there's a book that was a supplement and it let people take a bunch of art, like it let anyone take any of the artifacts that were in these quote unquote realms. Yeah. And so Jason could be playing one faction, and I could be playing another faction. We could have the same relic that gave us the same ability. But the thing yeah. is, is there was really like five relics that everybody used, right? Mm-hmm. The Ethereal Amulet, the Thermal Rider Cloak, like the Iron Circlet. Sword you know, of Judgment. Sword of Judgment. I mean, there's like these very specific ones because they were so good. And because they were so good, you didn't tend to take the artifacts that were in your own army's book. So you weren't like fashion dependent on it because they were so good. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of the armies weren't being played necessarily the way that they were sort of intended, fluff wise, because you were relying on malign sorcery. But anyway, what do you think? I think it will be. I think change is always good because it keeps things fresh. Yeah. Um. It. I will be curious to see which. Of the artifacts, you know, because basically there's now there's like one artifact per realm. 
Yeah. So you pick a realm, you get that artifact as a choice. I'll be curious to see which ones that they pull over. Like, do they, are they going to pull the ones that were most popular? Right. That's like, a good are point. we still, are we still going to see a sort of judgment? Yeah. You yeah. Know? If they yeah. get rid of some of those ones that made like super OP characters uh, or units, um, that would be cool. And I'll say that because uh, just because of the change, just because it'll change it, it'll refresh. Um, people will play build armies differently. Um, it'll be another interesting year of watching people kind of find the new metas. Yeah. And watching Games Workshop do their facts and their point drops is maybe this one character who was really good because he could take this one artifact. Now that artifact doesn't exist for him anymore. Right. Um, and he doesn't get employed much or he's not as effective, then his point will drop. And so because, you know, he's not as lethal or something. So it'll yeah. be curious to see what happens. Um, yeah. If a game stays stale and it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, that just kind of gets boring for me. Sure. And, and listen, I um, I think so. So for our listeners, um, when you have a named character, like so I play orcs and one of my main orc guys, his name is Gordrak, the Fist of Gork, right? Um, when I play with him, I cannot take an artifact or a command ability because he is a named character yeah. and he has his own stuff, right? He has special weapons, he has special abilities, and so you can't give him more to make him this like super buffed up character, right? So a, a big thing is, is a lot of people will say, well, there's these great artifacts out there in the Malign Sorcery book that anybody can use, so I'm going to take the generic version of Gordrak and give him the amazing artifacts that make him better than Gordrak, and so you never see Gordrak really on the table, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's a little bit more expensive than a generic character, but, you know, with the amazing artifacts from the Malign Sorcery book, that generic character all of a sudden is as good, if not better, than Gordrak. So I think what you're going to mm -hmm. see is if, if people are limited, you're going to see more named characters on the table, and I think that that's cool. Um, I love seeing named characters on there. Now, some of them are a little, like, crazy themselves, but, you know, some of them are, they're, it, it's just going to be nice to see them out on the table as a named character doing their thing. It will be, yeah. You know, cool models, usually. Yeah. That's a lot of Games Workshop talk. Let's, uh, yeah, what else sorry, guys. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let me get to D&D. Let me get to D&D. So there's two things that sort of um, piqued my interest over the last couple of weeks. One is this thing. It's called Dark Alliance. It's a it's a um, adventure supplement that you can buy. It's not fully endorsed. I, I guess it's kind of endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, but it's not produced by them, right? Um, it's a reboot of a 2001 adventure, and it takes place after R.A. Salvatore's um, book, The Dark Shard. And um, what's cool about this is that it apparently dovetails amazingly with the new um, the new supplement that's coming out from Wizards of the Coast called. Um, the Icewind Dale Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. So before I get into the Icewind Dale, I just want to give a little bit of you know background of what this is for uh, the Dark Alliance. Okay, um, so it let's see, it it apparently it is. Sorry, I, I kind of misspoke. Apparently, it is endorsed by Wizards of the Coast because Wizards of the Coast bought the studio called Tuke Games, and they're the ones that sort of. Um, developed it right and it's playable characters and that it has playable characters that um are for the companions in the hall featured in the icewind dale trilogy so if you've read that book then all of a sudden you get to play those characters right which is kind of cool and um yeah you get to play that and then you're moving on you know dovetailing into the games workshop or not games workshop the uh, wizards of the coast supplement Icewind Dale. So I think it's interesting. They're kind of coming out with these supplements, like maybe one studio is working on one part and another studio is working on another part, and they sort of mesh together um, even before they hit the market. So you have, you know, I mean, if you're gaming every week, this is probably a good three months, three, four months worth of, you know, sessions that you're going to be working through. Mm -hmm. So. Cool. Yeah, so check it out. It's called uh, Dark Alliance um, is the first thing. And then Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. By the way, do you know what Rhyme is? 
Mm-mm. It's like lime spelled with an R. Apparently, that, that's it. That's all you're gonna say. <laughs> lime. <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't realize. It's that's not rhyme. It's not rhyme like okay. you know, <laughs> you know, hack and feck. I don't know. I just made that up anyway. <laughs> okay, so what is what is so rhyme? so rhyme apparently is um, like hoarfrost, or it's like when you get those ice crystals that happen oh, on a sudden oh, 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 oh. snap. Mm-hmm. You know, like cold snap. Um, I always think about the what was that the day after tomorrow that terrible event disaster movie with Jake uh-huh. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And there's like this dude flying a helicopter and he opens up the door and all of a sudden he freezes. Yeah. Like immediately, you know. And there's like that frost that's covering him. That's rhyme. Got it. And for the so record, a, I, yeah, I did have yeah. to look it up. Flash freeze. Flash freeze, yeah. yeah. But it's not just the act of the flash freeze. It's the frost that is the there. The frost that's on it. Yes, that is rhyme. Got it. Yep. Got it. So, uh, Ooh, and, and the adventure itself, Icewind Dale, I mean, you've got to figure out why this endless winter has happened. So the setting is this kind of ice ice wasteland that you have to trudge through. Someone in the writing there really likes cold stuff. Because didn't we have, like, the frost giants... Storm like a couple giants. storm giants. The storm yeah. giants. It wasn't frost. It was storm giants. Yeah, it was okay. storm. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like. And then um, it was jungle after that. So. It was jungle after. That's right. It was. You're right. Yep. So it's kind of swinging each, yeah. each direction. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Give us our last announcement, dude. Oh my goodness. Okay. The last announcement is going to be a fun one. This is. Uh, this year, we've had so many conventions canceled all over the place that uh, Guild 9 Gaming has decided to run their own convention in August of this year called boom, GuildCon boom, boom. 2020. GuildCon 2020. GuildCon 2020. First now, week in August, and it's here in my house. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. Guild so, Con, invitation only. <laughs> yeah, that's right. GuildCon 2020 is sort of born out of SeanCon. Yeah. That happened in 2018, I think. Oh, I feel like it was 15. It wasn't that early. No, it wasn't that early. You're right. You're right. 2017 or 2018. I think yeah, it was 2017. Like mm-hmm. Anyway, it was SeanCon because for that, that year we couldn't go to Gen Con, some of us. Yeah. So we ended up doing a little um, gaming convention. And there was like probably seven or six or seven of us, maybe yeah. eight total. I think that's that where I met you. I think, is it? I think it, it was either then, it was right around that time. No, it was. That was it. That yeah. was it. Yeah. It's funny because okay. one of our buddies, one of our buddies' wife is, um, uh, what's John's wife? Where's she from? Um, she's from um, the Philippines. The Philippines, right. So I remember John's phone rang, and before John could grab it, you picked it up, and you just started, like, making <laughs> gibberish sounds. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like you know, because they speak Tagala, right? John yeah. Tagala, right? That's the name. Yep, of it. Yeah, yep, Tagalog. Yeah. And you just picked up and started making gibberish sounds. <laughs> and I remember hearing his wife on the other end, like screaming to the phone, "Justin, give John the phone!" Because <laughs> you guys are pretty close. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. Yeah, and and clearly that wasn't the first time that had ever no, happened no, no, either. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty cool. John's still fluent in Tagala, actually. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's what happens when you have yep, an actual Filipino that's true. wife. true. You know? <laughs> but so. anyways, good stuff. Yeah, I think that's when we first got met. So, yeah, Sean Khan, this is kind of a maybe. Sean, he's done two now. He's two done Sean two. Yep. yep, he's done two. And um, he was hoping to probably do one here, but work has gotten crazy for him. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, as we were starting to look later in the year, it was going to get a little tricky. It just worked out nicely the first week of August. And, uh, Which unfortunately, Sean cannot come to. I know he's going to be in Idaho. He's going to be in Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, a bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. But good, beautiful country though. Yes, we're we're going to have a good time. So. Yeah. So we're going to be doing uh, Wednesday through Saturday. We're going to be playing lots of games, board games, role play games, card games. We're going to be cooking out, all that kind of stuff. Gonna I've be good got stuff. a I've got a line in to create a war cry. You know, which is a skirmish game, narrative. War Cry narrative, which I think yeah. is going to be a lot of fun for people who are just starting out, right? Because I was thinking, like, a tournament might be a little too intense for people who have never played before. But if right. you're doing a narrative event where you're sort of working as teams, yeah, that might be fun. Well, the other thing about the narrative is it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. You're pushing the narrative along. 
Exactly. That's the point. So she's just telling a story. So and the point of this is not to say, hey, everybody, wish you could come, but if you haven't gotten an invitation, you're not invited. No, the point is that uh, don't be afraid to get together, you know, and uh, play games together to make up for kind of these cons that we're missing. Um, we're going to try to do this. We'll see how well it goes. Uh, should be okay. You know, we pretty much all know each other. So. Well, and I think, I think what's going to be interesting is this is the first – con that we're doing under the banner of guild nine gaming true guild con i think there's potential i think there's potential to make something like this grow guild con 1.0 maybe next year it'll be in uh maybe next year it'll be in um a parking lot i don't know (laughs) (laughs) cool because we won't have any money to (laughs) (laughs) right right uh yeah so by the way speaking of narrative and uh you know pushing the pushing the story along now that we're 45 minutes into our podcast (laughs) what was our main topic oh yeah we're gonna get to our main topic now that was the main topic (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) mechanics versus fluff so um the idea here is that i was talking i was kind of getting some feedback from some of our players for our road trader campaign and one of our players justin he was like hey listen um, I'm not 100% sold on the mechanics right now. I'm still sort of learning them. Um, and so I think I'd prefer, you know, like if, if we keep going that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really motivated by the story. And, you know, I was like, okay, okay. And so it made me start thinking like, okay, well, there's got to be a balance, right, between mechanics and fluff. Like, initially, if you had heard that <laughs> feedback, what would you think? Well, there's mechanics for the sake of mechanics. Right. You know, it's um, at one point do you think, all right, we're going too hardcore. Like the realism, we're trying to be too complex just for the sake of it. Is there fun in complexity? I'll tell you, when I first started getting into board games, and I mean like good board games. (laughs) Right. uh, So like Monopoly. Uh, uh, no when i started getting into good board games um i was geeking out over a number of components it was like man when i got those chipboards and i was popping those things out it's like oh there's like 150 pieces here it's so much fun right but now after playing arkham horror like you know a dozen or more times i'm like oh my gosh this thing is a beast to set up (laughs) and then it's a good game yeah and then oh my gosh i gotta put it away now and, you know, it's like, and then I look at it and look at half of the things and I'm like, man, this could, these four decks could have been like one deck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, or, or maybe this, this weird one mechanic, nobody ever remembers how to do this. And we always have to look the book up. And then it's like, does it really add anything Rapply. to like the fun or the narrative, narrative part of the gameplay? Right. It's like, why is this, why is this mechanic even here? Like, right. You know? Yep. So I don't know. It's mechanics for the sake of mechanics are, are, are not on my. I always, always, always favor story over mechanics. Yeah. We're in a situation and the game system says to do this, but I can tell the players are going to have a much more enjoyable outcome if this happens than this will happen over right. the mechanics, always in yep. my book. Well, and I mean, look at your approach when you. Um, plan for an RPG. We talked about this in one of our previous podcasts, right? You yeah. are like, okay, I want four encounters and yep. four... Um, four combat encounters yeah. and four role-play encounters. Yeah, there you go. And that's yeah. kind of the plan, right? Because, And I want to make sure that whatever the combat is, it's pushing the story along. Right? Exactly, yeah. Um, which, which I think is a, an excellent principle, but let me ask you this. Can, like, combat mechanics... Oh, push the story along or can mechanics of the role-playing game push the story along so so we know that you know there's balance between you know story Mm -hmm. and and you know combat and and i think the interesting thing is that's really a balance between story and mechanics because combat is all mechanics but can mechanics push the story along is that possible Ooh, that's a good question <clears throat> the mechanics themselves. Yes. So the we're mechanics, talking dice rolling and yeah. I don't yeah. know um, because I think yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So I'm thinking about this. So the mechanics themselves are there to give us a structure to be able to resolve 
um, to be able to resolve a uh, conflict's the wrong word, but um, they give us a structure to be able to resolve a scenario. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you you're presented with a role play opportunity, and you know, I'm not in it. I'm not an I'm not an investigator in real a forensics investigator in real life. So when I'm presented in this situation, mm-hmm. and I just can't see how to find the evidence, I can say, well, my character, you know, has been training in this for years. The mechanics allow me to use skills and points that I've spent in those skills to roll the dice and let the mechanics of the system kind of move that part of the story along yeah. for me versus yeah. me as a as an actual human being sitting at the table who does not have true investigative skills right. might just sit there and get stumped and look at a wall for five minutes to try to figure yeah. out how to solve the puzzle. It, it's like, did you ever see the show Psych? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so Psych, like, yes. he had that super super heightened ability to sense things, right? Like, yeah, the de- very detailed... Uh, yeah, very detailed uh, observation yeah. that he went through, right? And to me, that's like a player who has Sean. spent experience and skill points and all that stuff in yeah. that ability. Um, you know, he when he rolls the dice, he gets a plus 10 or something like that to his yeah. D20 uh-huh. dice roll. And he's going to score high every time he does that because that's who he is. Versus me, the pleb, I may have no modifiers to it because yeah. I'm not good. But the interesting thing about that dice roll is I still may roll high and get it, but it's luckier that it happens to me than mitigated. Because of the way that the mechanics are working, it favors you, especially in RPGs, to obviously, you know, scale out. Yeah. It also allows it allows a, a situation to be arbitrated um, a, f- a little bit, well, can be arbitrated a little more fairly. Uh, let's say that you get a player in a situation that the player just wants to do something that's very absurd. Or maybe on the board, not absurd, but maybe on the border of, well, I don't know if you, if your character really could, could do that or not. But right. you know what? Let's see, based on how the mechanics allow it. Like, you know, you have a plus two to that, to that skill, roll the dice, add your plus two. And the mechanics allow the GM to specify a difficulty level. Well, that's going to be really hard for you to find that yep. secret lock. So I'm going to make that a DC uh, 15. Right. You know, and then so you roll and just based on the skill that your character has is whether the mechanics will tell the story on whether or not your character was able to. Right. You know, right. find that secret hidden lock or something. So uh, the interesting thing is that um, if you look at the Android system, which Star Wars is kind of, ba- I mean, the Android system is based on Star Wars, the dice actually help you tell that story. The narrative dice. They're narrative dice, and that they're called that for a reason. So yeah. in that system, it is built in to the dice rolls yes. on how you are going to narrate that, right? And it will tell you, like, you succeeded, but you had threat. You succeeded, but you had advantage. You failed. You had despair. You had a triumph, you know? You triumphantly like failed. You triumphantly failed. Yeah, exactly. Those are my favorite. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you get to shape how the narrative works. And I know that that is why Dan Pomeroy likes that so much. I'll tell you, man, I think that that was industry changing. Um, those those narrative dice, I, I'm i okay with Star Wars RPGs. I enjoy them. Um, the setting's kind of okay. It's getting a little stale for me at times. Uh-huh. But those dice are... Those dice, those mechanics around those are what make that game fun to play for me. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that they have now the Genesis system out there, now you can take those narrative dice and you can take them to all different types of settings. And they really, uh, they really, it was an industry changing um, thing. Very good uh, for the progress of gaming as a whole. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Now, um, when, do, when do mechanics get in the way of the story? And I think we touched on this a little bit, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. Yeah. Well, we've all probably been at a table where, um, you know, you start to feel a little uncomfortable because you realize that the player and the GM are kind of, they're dragging out a combat sequence Yeah. when maybe the outcome is very clearly evident what it's going to be. It's like, okay, look, right. we've, we've killed, you know, we've killed the 10 kobolds. There's yeah. one left. Right. Uh, he happens to be burrowed behind a shield. Um, you know, okay, we can so, spin so the ten rounds. So half of us rounds. are missing him, yeah. right? So it's going to take three more rounds to do it. Yeah, it's like, uh, okay. Or we can just understand that, okay, it's going to happen. 
Like it's yeah. inevitable here. Let's just move it on. And remember, you remember Justin when we interviewed Robert Schwab years ago when we were talking about Shadow of the Demon Lord and talking about his approach to um, kind of DMing or jamming. Uh, he made this point very specifically. He says he he will watch the encounter and pay attention. And when it's the minute it starts to slow down, he'll just hand wave it and move past, move into the next story. Yeah. Portion. Because it's like you got to keep the table going. You got to keep them engaged, excited. And when things start to drag, recognize it's dragging, put the mechanics aside, and let's move on with the storytelling. Yep. So, yes, yeah. there are absolutely times when mechanics can drag and drag. <clears throat> yeah, and I think combat is probably the most obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. Just because combat can be slow. I mean, our Warhammer 40K game, I think that that's probably the slowest part of the game is our combat, you know? Um, and part of it is us sort of learning it, and we've gotten a lot faster than our first games. Yeah, absolutely. You know? We've gotten a I'll, lot faster, which is good. I'll tell you, it's weird when you have a system like um, like that uh D and D can be like this. If you have, if you have a novice player, uh, sure, everyone understands when somebody's learning. All right, well, how do I roll? How do I swing my axe? Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. But even when you have experienced players, um, and it can take forty-five minutes to get through a single combat scenario with like three three bandits. Yeah. It's like, all right, guys, we we got to do something. To we did something wrong. Yes. <laughs> this is this is not a good use of our time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and that was a gripe I had with D and D for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of what pushed me the other systems, uh, is that you could, man, you could sit down and it would take forever. And and we've talked about this before, but I get my kid like whenever I play games with my kids, I am constantly, and my kids probably don't enjoy playing games with me. But you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking that's okay because I am teaching them to be fun people to play with their friends. I don't know. That's whatever. right. But uh, that's my role. That's my responsibility. I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> uh, but uh, you gotta te- I teach my kids when it is not your turn, you're doing everything you can to think about what you're going to do when it's your turn. Yeah. So that you can take your turn as fast as possible. Enjoy it, but take it as yeah. fast as possible so that the person waiting after you can get to go. And that's it. I don't know if you notice or not, but when we play games... Sometimes, some situations, I've got to figure out what's going to do because things have changed. Right. Something drastically has changed based on the result of the turn right before mine. But if I, if I know very clearly what I want to do, I, I, all right, I'm roll that dice. I tell you the outcome, and let's move on. Move on. Yep, absolutely. And, and Nick does that, too. One of the dudes, yep. in, our, uh, one of the dudes in our group, he'll, he'll be like, all right, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm jumping at him, and I'm using my chain sword, and I'm going to swing, and he swings and says, Nope. All right, I'm done. Dude, he is so fast. Oh, yeah. And you're like, awesome. And then you get to somebody else, you know, and, and this is just generally. I'm not calling anybody yeah. from our gaming thing. It'll be me several times, yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll get to somebody else and you're like, um, well, yeah. let's well, see. Who's standing in front of me again? Yeah. I'm and I'm like, dude, sure. like, you, you should like know it. you're in combat with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and. And like, oh, I guess maybe I'll like try to hit him with a melee weapon. And I'm like, are you asking me permission, or are you just going for it? You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember that was funny one time. I was playing a I was playing a Warhammer game with a, a buddy of ours. Um, oh, what's his name? He's the uh, Matt Matt yeah. Barker. Yeah, great guy. Really fun. One of my favorite opponents to play. Um, and we were playing, and uh, I kind of was looking at the table for a minute i said okay well this guy is going to do this and then i stopped and looked at me he was kind of looking at me and he's, are you uh are you asking me if you can do this? <laughs> i was like oh, no no i'm sorry you're right you're right i just like went ahead and did it i don't know what i was thinking it's like it's just funny because sometimes you know sometimes people have to think and you have yeah. to be okay with that um but uh it is important to make sure that the mechanics themselves are not causing you to, you know, take a five-minute turn for one character, just right. because you have to roll the dice. Then they roll the counter. Then you roll the damage. Then they roll the save. Like, there's one thing to do that, but then it's all right. Now we got to look up on this table. Okay, well, you failed your save, uh, so now we got to go to this table, and now we got to flip through the book and find this table. All right, now we roll on that table. Okay, now that table says we roll on this table. Okay, we flip through the book. It's like okay, at that point, it's like all right, let's, we got to find a way to change this. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I try, especially with, like, um, our 
um, our system. I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new to it, right, that we've been playing. And yeah. so I'm, I'm kind of flipping through, but I think I got, you know, I've, I've been getting better. I know where to look when, when something happens. Yeah. But I can tell you the mechanics of running the GM in this system are difficult because it's like, and, and, here, and it goes back to what you were saying about it being almost too realistic, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you shoot a three-shot burst at me, right? I have to, based on what you rolled, so let's say you rolled a 27, I have to look at the hit chart, and so that's a 72. Oh, that hits him in his right leg, you know? <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I have to look up that chart, but because you hit me with three, I have to turn to another chart that's not part of the same chart. I have to turn to another chart to say it hits leg, leg, body for the successive shots, right? Yep. And then I have to take those and look at, okay, well, what's the armor on the leg and what's the armor on the body? Because they could be different, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you shoot me, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, okay, roll the damage for each. So then you make three dice rolls, right? And I have to say, okay, for the first one, the armor is against this, so it soaks up that much damage, and then the toughness bonus, so he's left over with two wounds there. Second one, same thing. Third one, different armor, different, you know what I mean? And so I have to do all of these calculations every single turn. It's very cumbersome. Got, very cumbersome. And and if I have uh, multiple uh, enemy types, so I had three different enemy types in our big combat. I had to track each three of them separately. Yep. You know, so the right leg of this guy is different than the right leg of that guy than the right leg of the other guy, you know? And so it's like, oh, my gosh. And so I feel like um, I'm trying to be calm and collected as we go, you know? Oh, dude, yeah, But I'm, yeah. like, flipping through stuff and looking here and looking there, and I'm pre-rolling dodges before you guys even roll. As you're rolling, I'm rolling. Yeah. You know? I'm like, roll it so that I can look at the table and be like, okay, well, he he didn't dodge, so it hit. Roll your damage. As I'm still like trying to flip through stuff, you know? And I and I have little stickies that help me, but still, I have to refer to, like, three different things. And to me, that slows things down. Slows it down, you Big know? time. Another good example is um, one of the things that helped us. We were talking about debuffing. Um, and let's just talk about this and be oh, honest yeah. about it, right? Is... <laughs> I think the debuffing absolutely helped us. The problem with it mechanically <laughs> yeah. was that you, when I rolled, when, when you know, my, my dude called on the powers of the warp, yeah, unintentionally, kind of, and a bunch of ghosts flew around the room and everybody had to make a fear check. Everyone had to make a fear check. Yes. Meaning all of the tons of baddies that were in the room. Including all the little guys that probably should have died in one hit. Yeah. You know? So, so here's the problem is, Every one of those little guys, you not only did you have to make a separate roll, if you're following the mechanics true to form, yes. right? not only did you have to make a separate roll, but every time you made a roll, you then had to look that result up on a table. You then, as a GM, had to note that specifically for that oh individual gosh, yes. creature, yeah. what that debuff was, how long that debuff lasted, what it could do to remove that debuff on the next turn. Could it not do that? Could it do that? And then you had to cumulatively keep track of those debuffs as I continued to fear them every turn. Right. <laughs> it's like, I was just feeling so bad for you, man. <laughs> I noticed you started trying to do other things because... Yeah, I, I was like, I'm going to do something else here. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it's... But I just... The, and and this is where ha- this is where GMs start to just throw house rules down. They throw yeah. house rules down to avoid clunky mechanics. Right. You can say, alright, you know, every one of these every one of these grots... Um, is going to have the same debuff. Right. I'm only going to roll once for all the grots, and they'll have the same debuff. Yep. But then, and, you know, yeah. there's there's a plus and minus to that. But. And I should have probably run them as a mob. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, like like realizing that I probably should have run them as a mob, or you know, for other terms, as a as a um, minion group, you know, yeah. or something uh-huh. like that, just to kind of say like, okay, these these. Five grots are going to shoot at the same person, essentially. Yeah. You know, the problem is, is five grots shooting at the same person could kill kill someone. Right. Like, so it's a balance. You know, you got to so, figure out what the right thing to yeah. do is. So to tell the story. I, I mean, I kind of lived and learned with that one, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's an an excellent point where it's like, all right, well, everyone's got to do this now, and you guys were literally like, everybody else was literally waiting for us as you're like, all right, yeah. next one, roll. Okay, next one, roll. You know, <laughs> it's just like. Yeah. Ugh. And it's an interesting balance because you you know you want to avoid slowing it down, but you also don't want to avoid nerfing 
the character's abilities because right. you know maybe that's that's how that that character class was balanced for things like that. Yep. No, it's a it's a live and learn kind of a situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the thing is, is I I think what happens is. Um, Mechanics can absolutely get in the way, right? I, mm-hmm. I, we know this. We know that mechanics can get in the way. Yeah. Um, I think you have to ask yourself, is this a game essential mechanic? Mm-hmm. Like, is this so core to the game that we can't change it? And maybe it's just a poorly designed game because right. it's not facilitating the story? Or could we do something a little bit more interesting to keep it going and call it a day you know what i mean um like if you say i think that the um the way that you roll dice in rogue trader slows it down because i have to do all this math before i roll the dice to know if i'm going to do it and then figure out how many successes i have that slows it down guess what that's core to the game yeah like you can't it's a it's a it's a it's a percentile dice game you can't change it so what could you do to make it go a little bit faster? You know what I mean? I, you know, and I, and I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, I haven't really thought about it too deeply. But um, I, I think when you're looking at D&D and things like that, ask yourself, like, what is, like, am I, am I putting mechanics in front of the story? Am I, you know, making this harder than it has to be? Um, yeah. Oh, you know what one of my favorite things is? And this is a point that I want to make. Um, in the DM, in the in the DM's guide, it says very specifically, if there's no reason to make a player roll a dice, don't make them roll a dice. Mm, nice, right? So like if they're like if they've got all the time in the world to do an investigation in a yeah, room, yeah, mm-hmm. let them find <laughs> the thing. Like why are you rolling for it unless you need it? You need it to be a hidden thing that like maybe it's a bonus thing that they can yeah. find. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like if it's a crucial and, and, and this is this is a, a GM trick too. If it's a crucial part of the story that moves it along, don't put a mechanic in front of it where they may fail it and now they can't get to it. Right. You, you know, like there's a hidden clue yeah. that leads you to the bad guy and the concluding like arc of the game, you know, and they fail to check on the clue and you're like, Well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> Move know? the cheese. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like, you know, um, don't don't just throw in mechanics because you're like, well, p- someone should roll a dice right now. That's that would be fun, you know, just to roll a dice. Right, and it all comes down to what's the point of playing the game? Yeah, point of playing the game is to have a good time. We love storytelling as a people. Uh, Role playing games allows us to actively participate in storytelling. It doesn't matter if you adhere a hundred percent to the module that you're running. Just make sure we're telling a fun epic stories. That's yeah. what's important. Right. Yep. Good stuff. Awesome. Okay, dude. Good stuff. Thanks for indulging me on uh, talking about that. Yeah, good topic. Awesome. Well, thanks for everybody for listening to our Games Workshop podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, now, we hope you enjoyed the rest of it. Uh, feel free to leave some feedback. Share it with your friends. Let everybody know. Um, hope you're coming to GuildCon. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, if you received an invitation. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> yep, everybody keep gaming and have a great night. All right, see ya. <laughs>